Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All I want are a couple of tacos and the 44-ounce Mountain Dew, and now I can't get it. Tears of joy. Yes, a 50-year-old crying. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Three o'clock hours here, Cofield and Company. We got the coach, a little basketball talk to Joe Esposito coming up in about 15 minutes. Tears of joy. I may cry again on a football field this season. I'll explain. Let's get to it. It's time for the three presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. What if UNLV football wins four or five games this year? Will I weep on the field? And that's not to rip on the Rebel program, but my God, the expectations are just a little bit low from the bookmakers. Numbers are out over under win total for the Rebels for a full season. One and a half. Oof. Not good. It's a tough schedule. We don't know if they have an alpha dog at quarterback. So I think that's what much of this is based on. And there are good teams on the schedule. So the schedule was out. It's now been adjusted. And we'll hit this topic later with our football insider, Caleb Herring, in the 4 o'clock hour. Do college football players like Thursday and Friday games? Like, Lots of them, because there's been a bunch of switches on the UNLV football schedule. We already knew the Thursday opener, uh, September 2nd. I guess I sort of uh, exploded the lead on that one. The opener is on a Thursday. So they're going to play Eastern Washington. Not a big deal. I'm not talking about in terms of opponent, but you'll know ahead of time. Target for game one is Thursday. Then uh, after that, they've got a couple of Saturday games at Arizona State, home Iowa State. Iowa State, tough team, over under nine and a half wins. And then a lot of the Friday games in conference have been moved to a lot of the games in conference. I keep saying Friday. A lot of the games in conference have been moved from Saturday to Friday. So September 24th, a Friday game at Fresno State. We'll see what the crowd's like for that one. I think the last time that I was uh, around UNLV as a sideline guy, it was a Friday night spot. The crowd actually I thought was terrible. And I was told, hey, they're competing with high school football. So I don't know if that one will be a full house. And Fresno is still kind of rebuilding with a second-year coach. Uh, following game Saturday at UTSA, Texas San Antonio, actually a pretty good program, had a good season last year. A couple of Saturday games at home, Utah State, San Jose State. San Jose State, again, expected to be good, seven and a half wins. Then back to a Friday tilt at Reno. That's October 29th. And then to close out the season, one more Friday game, Maybe this is a good thing. November 26th at Air Force can always be a dangerous spot because not only are the Falcons good, but the weather could be horrendous, so at least it's a day game. But, yeah, they now have three Friday games, and we'll get the reaction from the player, former player, who calls the games on what the players think of having a – it's not necessarily a short week in some cases – in, in a couple, no, actually in all three it is. They play on Saturday and then they've got a short week. they got to bounce back Friday. So we'll get that from Caleb Herring. Uh, checking in on Oakland. They're not happy with us here in Vegas. Uh, this uh, Dave Cablecat, the president of the A's, tweeted out 
an image of the uh, raucous Fortress crowd the other day and just said, wow. And, man, Oakland got completely pissed off because they're already on edge that the A's are going to be traipsing around the country visiting potential cities to move to and bolt from Oakland. I saw this headline on uh, 95.7 The Game, the outstanding radio station in the Bay Area. Did Dave Cable send the worst tweet in the history of Twitter? A's president checked in live from Las Vegas Knights game. Show a little respect, Golden Knights. All right, we've got the Silver Knights. Soon we're, we're going to have uh, you know a indoor football team that's going to be the Neon Knights, the Nighthawks, something. Come on, get our Knights right. But yeah, they're pissed. They're stirring the pot for the fans. A Yana Jana on Twitter reacted. Lady, take it easy. All right, don't don't get mad at us. Okay. We don't have the team yet. We haven't stolen anything yet. Guess you can be mad about the Raiders. But this person on Twitter said, who wants to sit in 110-degree heat to watch baseball? Las Vegas will be a dried-up, post-apocalyptic mess in 10 years due to climate change. Oh, here we go. Here we go. These left-wing wackos. Climate change is real. Uh, We will fight... The A's move to Vegas. Climate change will be a huge argument against it. Maybe. I, maybe she's she's got some inside sources that we're going to be all dead here and the town will dry up in 10 years. But I, I would say this. If they're building a stadium here, it is going to have a roof. Um, as producer Brady, he's our producer, our content provider, 24-7. But our producer, late night podcast, he said, uh, because Arizona couldn't build a stadium with a retractable roof for the D-backs. So... Yana, Jana, calm down, lady, ma'am, please calm down. Don't hate on us, okay? We're not, we're not the bad guys here. And it's the first of many visits. If you don't know, the A's brass is in town. Uh, yesterday, Clark County commissioners, uh, later in the week, uh, City of Las Vegas tweeted out that their uh, Mayor Goodman will be meeting with A's management. Henderson is going to get a meeting, and we'll see if anyone else gets a meeting with uh, Dave Cable, the president. And the rest of the uh, the, well, the owners here and also Billy Bean supposedly is in town. I don't know if they're here the entire time for all the meetings, but they are bouncing around Las Vegas before they head to Nashville, Charlotte and Portland and maybe some other cities. Don't get mad. Stop getting mad at us. It's not this is not our fault. It's the it's the A's fault. It's the fact that Oakland can't negotiate a freaking deal. Stop getting mad at us. All right. No conflict Wednesday. I don't think unless we talk about the transfer portal that Joe Esposito is going to start yelling, but uh, maybe he will. Maybe he will, and maybe he'll yell about what happened last night. We got to get it from the coach. How the freak do you defend Luka? Because the Clippers have not figured it out in two games. Nova Home Loans brings you the three. It's a refi raid at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. Cofield and Company is talking college hoops with Joe Esposito. Talking NBA, too. We got uh, three NBA games tonight. First one goes down in about 45 minutes. Joe Esposito, the coach. We need to lean on the coach for uh, hardcore basketball knowledge and other stuff. Joe, how you doing, buddy? Doing great, man. You're doing great. 
What's going on uh, in the Valley of the Sun? You, you, can you feel Suns fever even after a loss against the Lakers? You know, you, I, I think the I think the fever is getting a little nervous out here. I think game one, everybody was kind of wondering that when they won it. I think everybody felt great, but then after last night, when Chris Paul went cold on them, you know, he had six points, and you know, Booker and Aiton can only do so much. And I think Paul's really the piece of that that team that's going to be able to get them to beat the Lakers. And I think people are pretty upset right now and pretty nervous right now that the Lakers took game two. And uh, man, the Lakers look like they're back on all cylinders. When you look at four guys in double digits, and, and Drummond might be the uh, the X factor. I mean, he goes in there and gets double double, 28, uh, 15 uh, points and twelve rebounds. What a game he had! And of course, Davis and LeBron had good games, and Shrouder's been playing great and great defense. So I don't know. I, I'm feeling like it might be the Lakers. The only thing I thought the Lakers would would struggle with is shooting a three. Last night they were ten for thirty three. So I don't know. These the Phoenix fans may be in trouble to be a two seed finally. And get bounced out, man. It would be depressing, and I guess all eyes would be on the Diamondbacks, and they're not worth a damn either. Joe, on the Lakers, I see so much Twitter action, you know, especially from fans of small ball uh, going after playing. You know, they're against playing Andre Drummond. How do you defend playing two bigs? You know, going super big when. You know, a lot of the league and, and the analytics say, uh, you know what, that doesn't work. It do, and it doesn't work in terms of spacing for the Lakers. Well, you know, it, it, it's working It's working in some regard for them because you got to remember LeBron is more of a perimeter guy. I mean, he shot nine threes yesterday, four for nine from three. He's going to teeter around the perimeter and drive the ball. And, and Davis is the same way. Davis is just an inside guy. The thing I liked about Davis last night, he got to the free throw line 21 times. He was 18 for 21 in the free throw line. And uh, so they're not traditional bigs. I mean, I wouldn't call them just big guys. Now, Drummond is a guy that's not going to shoot the three. He's going to pound inside. He's going to be a guy that can go over the glass. So I don't think it makes a difference. Even if you have three guys like that on the floor at the same time, you know Davis and and James can stretch it out. So I think that it's a good combination, and they're hard to guard. I mean, just think about uh, the the poor team that's going to play against them. You know, you got to play against three big, strong guys. And you better be moving your feet in the perimeter. It's going to take their big guys on the perimeter to guard. So it makes for a, a tough adjustment either which way. I want to get to the Clippers here in a couple minutes, but a little college basketball. First of all, uh, John Rothstein, who's very good on college basketball, although sometimes I think he does favors for coaches. I thought this tweet was really weird. He says, sources, multiple mid-major programs are opting to not play guarantee games against high major programs because it gives the power conference teams a, quote, free live evaluation of future players who could move up via the transfer portal. Do you buy this, that mid-major programs are turning down chances to, one, make money, two, get important games on their schedule? You know, it's funny you ask that because I saw that tweet, too, when it originally came out. I was thinking to myself, really, is that how they're starting to feel? Those games, those guarantee games are so, so important. Even yeah. when I was when I was scheduling at the high level, I we were paying a hundred thousand dollars at some point. Um, we were paying consistently eighty five to ninety thousand for those games, and those games make a lot of those programs survive. There's a lot of mid major programs that need that money to survive. Now on the other end, I can see where the mid major coaches are getting scared because they are losing players to the big boys, and whether or not they get a bump after the game, they say something after the game. I guarantee you if you're walking by a kid and he scores 30 on you and you're at Michigan or Virginia, you may say, hey, man, you're a pretty damn good player and you give him a good vibe. You never know what happened. Just think about what happened this year. A kid from Coastal Carolina goes to Michigan. 
A kid from Siena goes to Penn State. East Carolina kid goes to Virginia. A Davidson kid goes to Kentucky. A Toledo kid goes to Arizona State. It's happening. And all those players I just mentioned are all top 25 guys in that transfer portal. So on one side, I can see why mid-major coaches may be a little bit worried about this whole deal. And then the other thing i got to say is, is you got to think about this for a minute. Those high-major programs, those high-major coaches, they're paying 10 guarantee games, some eight, most eight, nine, ten, depending on what league you're in. They're buying wins. So if you're, you're a high-major guy, and I'm not going to throw anybody's name out there, but just think about the high-major coaches that have won 600, 700, 800 games. They've bought about 10 of those a year. So over 20 years of coaching, you bought about 200 wins. These mid-major guys, poor guys, got to lose six, seven, eight games a year, and they got to re- rebuttal back. So I was a mid-major coach at one time. I know what it's like. There's probably definitely some guys that are having bad feels about these guarantee games. And if their AD will say, you don't need to play them, I'm sure they're not going to play them. Joe Esposito, former coach all over college basketball, was here at UNLV, Minnesota, Texas Tech, Memphis. Uh, you are in Arizona. Boy, Arizona State was like the, the hit, the bell of the ball early with the transfer portal. They landed a ton of transfers. Then they've had guys leave. Uh, they got a transfer from Robert Morris, who was – he was highly coveted. A.J. Brahma, who averaged 21 and 10 at uh, Robert Morris. And wait, now he's not going to go to Arizona State? What the hell is happening, Joe? I know it's crazy because just remember now, he, he went ahead and said he was going back on March 26th. Now, two months later, he comes back and says he's not coming. So let me say, there's two things that could have happened here. Number one, Arizona State could have said, you know what? We beat out Nevada. We beat out West Western Kentucky. We beat out St. Bonaventure to get this kid. You know, we didn't beat out Duke or Texas or Oregon or anybody like that. That might have been one thing. They're like, hey, look, we got to get some better players. I lost a lot of my roster. A few more guys have turned on me. A few more guys have left since two months ago. You know, Bagley and, and the guys that have left the program. So maybe we need to get better players, and let's not tie up that, you know, Remy Martin left. Let's not tie up that scholarship. And then on the other hand, the kid might have saw, you know what, ASU just got the Gaffney kid, 6'9 kid. He was at Ohio State. Then he went to Juco route. He's 6'9". He's a big guy. I'm probably not going to play in front of that kid. Maybe he pulled out and said, you know what, let me go somewhere where I know I can play. And that sometimes happens. So it could go either way. It could have been Arizona State telling him, hey, you need to go. Or it could have been the kid saying to himself, man, I don't know if I can really play here. He just got another kid. I might want to leave. That's probably what happened. By the way, this might not be good news for UNLV. It might not be good news for the Mountain West Conference. I guess you want as many good players as possible, but Reno could be next in line to get the Brahma kid, and uh, they're already kind of loaded with transfers coming in and holdovers, so that could make Steve Alford's squad even stronger if the kid decides to go north. No doubt. That could definitely make them stronger, and he's done a great job with getting the right kind of transfers. And then New Mexico. New Mexico's already signed 15 guys. I mean, they're two I mean, over. Yep. So when you, when you look at New Mexico, they got the big boy, Seek, uh, coming in, who is a heck of a player. He's going to New Mexico. He, they beat out Kansas and Texas Tech and ASU. and I mean, he's going to New Mexico. Uh, you know, Richard Pertino knows what he's doing, and he put together a good staff of guys. They're going to be really aggressive. You know, our former assistant, Eric uh, Brown, is over there with him, who's a great recruiter, and they're two scholarships over. Now, is that the way to go, sign extra guys? Sometimes that's a really big no-no because – Two guys in your program know they're going to be kicked off or going to be told to leave, or sometimes that's not good business. Some athletic directors don't let you sign over. Right. But I think New Mexico, hey, New Mexico is so hungry 
for a winning team and a winning program, shoot, they'll probably let him sign five over if he wants. Joe Esposito's with us. All right, Joe, back to the NBA as uh, we got a couple minutes left here. What do you do if you're the Clippers? Uh, you got premium defenders, you think, in like super small. Uh, you know, you got a wing guy in George. Uh, you got a guy who's super versatile, can cover bigs and wings in uh, Kawhi Leonard. Why can't they slow down Luka? You know, Dallas seems to have their number. And, and that's the craziest thing. I don't know if you remember back in the regular season, Dallas uh, beat them by 51 points one game. And the thing for me, defensively, I, I think it's just so hard to guard um, what the Mavericks bring to the table. And there's a couple things. First of all, number one, you know, the Mavericks were hit hard by COVID. Five, there were five games under 500 in early February. And since then, they've had the fifth best record in the NBA, winning 67% of their games. So they're starting to get in the groove. Going into this, this uh, postseason, I said, for them to really be good, they're going to need Hardaway to come through. Hardaway is going to have to be a weapon for them because they really only have two weapons, I think, in Luka and Porzingis. So Hardaway needs to come through. Well, what did he do against them last game? He went for 28 points, 6 for 8 from 3. He had a great game. He was plus 13 for his team. He had a super game. And the hard thing about guarding Dallas is that they've got the best pick and roll or pick and pop between Luka and Porzingis in the NBA. They are actually the most efficient pick and roll and pick and pop combo in the NBA, and that's hard to guard. So if the Clippers are going to want to get back in this series, which is going to be hard for them to do, they came out so flat in that third quarter. I don't know what happened in the locker room at halftime, but whatever they did, they better change it around because they came out so flat, and they just don't have that good, strong third option like a lot of these other teams do. Like now the Mavericks have you know Hardaway and some of these other teams with that third option. Look at the Lakers. They've got four options and so on. So I'm just saying I think the Lakers are, I think the Clippers are in trouble. I think Dallas is grooving right now. They're all playing together pretty well, and I think that series might be uh, as good as over. Last minute, Joe. We know Luka is the you know point guard of the future, the star point guard of the future at 22 years old. Who do you like more? Do you like Trey Young more as a you know megastar at point guard or John Morant? I mean, tough choice here. They're both going to be great. Yeah, they're both going to be great. I do like Trey Young because I think he can he can score at all levels. But you know, he's turned changing the game. I think him, uh, Morant, Sexton, they're changing the game. You know, just think about the floater. The floater is a new new addition to the game of basketball. Um, we're talking about the floater like they used to talk about the jump hook way back in the olden days. You know, there's been so many floaters floaters taken. This is the craziest stat of all, Steve. Guards have outscored post players, forwards and centers in the pink. In the last two seasons, that's the first time that's ever happened in NBA history. So we're talking about guards scoring in the paint. In the, in the NBA game with the Knicks, you know, uh, Trey Young hits that floater to win the game. In that game, there was 19 floaters taken. Now, granted, Derrick Rose is another floater guy. He hits one with nine seconds to go to tie the game. Trey Young hits one to win the game. They shot seven floaters in the fourth quarter. So when you're looking at the game of basketball and how it's changing, these top six players that are using the floater all over the NBA all of them are 22 years or younger, 22 years older and younger, and they're all great guards. So I think you're seeing a little bit change in the game of basketball. We talk so much about the jump hook way back in the day. We talked about the three-point shot. Now it's turning into a game of who can actually guard that floater, and we're going to see. I'd be honest, I never practiced a floater with one of my teams. In 34 years, I never had a drill to work on a floater, and now it seems like a big part of the game. Now you're going to do it, right, with the, with the high school kids? We're going to be floating that thing all over the place. 
You're, right, you're going to think we're in a swimming pool out here in Arizona where we're floating so much. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Joe. We appreciate it. All right. See you next week. There he is, Joe Esposito, our basketball insider here on Wednesdays. On the way back, we're going to bring in Dan Lust. It is a Legal Talk Wednesday, and we'll get into the latest with Deshaun Watson, who apparently is not going to be deposed until after the Super Bowl. So I think he should be free and clear. Let's get him on the field. More of Cofield and Company is on the way. Live in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Wednesday on Cofield and Company. That means we get into the uh, legal side of sports and uh, legal side of uh, stories in general. And Dan Lust is always nice enough to help us out. He's got the uh, conduct detrimental podcast that he does and let's come out swinging here we had a weird scenario the other day dan with uh, julio jones popping on with shannon sharp and uh, there's a big question out there did he know he was live and then how do state by state uh recording laws apply in this case yeah so a couple things i I think people learned i mean even attorneys in my own state so i'm from new york new york is what we call a one-party consent state that means that if you if any party on the phone call, let's say you're having a conference call and you're back in elementary school and you got everybody on conference call, you got the boys and the girls, you got eight people on the call. As long as one party to that call is consenting to it being recorded, you can record it. Whether or not you think that's a good or a bad law, that's the law in New York. California, which is relevant for this conversation, uh, obviously because uh, FS1, Undisputed, where Shannon Sharp uh, made this recording, made this phone call, is California, follows what's called the two-party consent rule, which is another way of saying Everyone on the phone call needs to be aware of something being recorded in order for you to record it, use it, do anything like that. So, yeah, simply put, I mean, we could figure out if it was staged or if it was real, but at least in my estimation, either it was staged or a crime actually occurred. The unauthorized recording and broadcast uh, of someone's phone call that didn't consent to it. Well, we're getting stories out there that say that, uh, you know, Julio Jones reps are pissed off about it. So uh, that would suggest that he didn't know he was live. Yeah, I mean, that's I'm reading the same things you are. I saw a report from USA Today that said that Julio Jones was unaware that he was being recorded. So that tells you that he's probably a little annoyed about it. I mean, if you want to go the other way, if you want to play full conspiracy theory, this put so much more pressure on the Atlanta Falcons to trade him. Uh, All these various betting sites across the country, and you guys obviously uh, in Vegas are aware of it, props are popping up around the country. Where will Julio Jones land? Those are new props. Those did not exist as of 24 hours or I guess now 40 hours ago. So yeah, I think it's brought exponentially more attention to this trade request, and it's brought exponentially more attention on Undisputed. That said, I don't know. If, if a crime occurred, it's one thing. It's another thing of whether or not Julio Jones is going to be a cooperating witness and all that stuff. And for Julio Jones, right, like, what did this do? It kind of helped his case. It yep. put more eyeballs on his trade request. So I don't think there's going to be criminal charges, but if you're playing an academic exercise, yeah, I, I do think a crime has been met. Yeah, from the sports standpoint, Julio Jones got out of this what he wanted. Uh, one, if he wanted to screw over the Falcons in a way, kind of stick it to him, he did. You know, he's naming teams he doesn't want to go to in the Cowboys, so it served that purpose. I, I doubt he's that angry in this whole thing, but I do wonder uh, if there's any issue here with the NFL and its relationship with Fox. These are such mega deals. You know, it's not like they're going to end the deal, but I wonder if anything comes down the pike from that one. Well, that, that was my initial inclination. Like, who? Like, let's say it's a win right for FS1 and it's a win for Julio Jones. Who loses in this? Probably the Atlanta Falcons, number one. And the Atlanta Falcons, you know, they they're, they make up the NFL. So the NFL is not going to be pleased that one of their member teams is, is not that happy with it, even if it's just a political charade and it's a – not a political charade, but a PR stunt. Um, Falcons are not going to be happy with it. So there was a story uh, – you know, there was a report that came out, I guess, a couple of years ago 
when there was a, a concussion special that was done by PBS and ESPN was contributing to this concussion special, the NFL, maybe implicitly, indirectly, but there were reports that NFL kind of said, hey, ESPN, you're supposed to be one of our partners. Why don't you back off a little bit? So I don't know. This is I don't think as egregious if you if you believe the reports, but yeah, I don't. I think the Falcons are pissed off at Fox. I'm sure they are. Um, you know, if you want to believe the reports, and the NFL is not going to be so pleased. So yeah, I imagine at some some level, someone at the NFL is talking to someone at Fox, like, hey, if you're going to do this, at least give us a heads up ahead of time. We're doing our Wednesday legal spot here in Cofield and Company, and Professor Dan Lust, I uh, I probably insulted you by not introducing you properly to uh, open the spot today, is here with us. All right. So we're seeing all over the place. Deshaun Watson won't be deposed before 2022. It'll be after this upcoming Super Bowl. So the way I look at it, he's free and clear to play this year, right? Well, yes and no. If you ask Antonio Brown's lawyers, yes. Antonio Brown played. Uh, Obviously, he was unemployed for a period of time, but he played with the looming sexual assault case that could have uh, resulted in criminal charges at one point. Uh, It did not. That case was settled. But Antonio Brown, whether or not people knew it at the time, there's much less attention that was paid to it than 20 civil sexual assault cases. But Antonio Brown played the entire entirety of the playoff run with the Bucks with the civil case hanging over his head. So is it doable? Yes. Uh, is it doable with 20 civil cases? Probably not. And if it, is it doable when you have a criminal case that's brought against you? I would say almost certainly not. But we're still kind of premature uh, whether or not this is going to escalate to criminal charges. But yeah, I'm uh, if you ask me, if you're a betting man again, well, this is ESPN Vegas, right? Uh, my, my bet is that uh, th- there is going to be some sort of suspension or commissioner's exemplist trip before the start of the season. Okay, so let's address that. And this is why we do these legal spots with attorneys, because sometimes we'll just jump to these conclusions and not think about legal ramifications. So I don't believe the NFL has the right is not the right term, but I don't think they should be getting involved when there's allegations, when cases are not settled, when cases are not taken care of by the justice system. But from the NFL standpoint, if they let Deshaun Watson play uh, while the decision is being made, are they putting themselves in legal harm's way? Not in legal harm's way. Uh, I don't think, I don't think they're, I mean, the NFL is a private organization. They could really do whatever they want. They could put, and I'm not not condoning this. I'm not saying I support it, but if they wanted to put someone with a pending murder charge on the field, they could do it. But you know what would happen, Steve? There'd be people that were, if let's say it happened to the Raiders, there'd be people calling your, your, your station and telling you how disgusting it is and how the NFL does this. It's a PR nightmare to have Watson in the field answering questions that have to do with his civil sexual assault case. And that narrative is going to continue on and on and on. It's going to continue once he reports at some point to OTAs or for, for the preseason. So the NFL and their personal conduct policy, they, they have leeway to do whatever they want. I, and I've said this, I've been pretty vocal about it. I think right now with 20 civil sexual assault cases, there's enough to put him on the commissioner's exemplist, which is a fancy way of saying paid leave. Get him off the field, but pay him his money that the Texans own right now. Whether or not they do it is a separate question. Um, and a suspension is to to basically take him off the field and not pay him. But I think they have enough right now to put him on this commission exemplist, which is designed for pending cases before there's an actual adjudication uh, on the merit. So I think they have enough to do it right now. Whether why, why they haven't is a separate question, but I do think they have enough now. Hmm. Uh, let's talk about the case itself. I saw you post an, a very interesting question. This is something that we did on our legal podcast, and it's it's very touchy. It's very touchy here. Um, there's an argument here in terms of the charges. Is it committing sexual assault or taking part in illegal prostitution? That's, I mean, like, I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm, I've, I've, uh, I'm there as the attorney. I'm sitting here. Rusty Harden has said a lot of things, and there's, there's a, and I, I think we, we, and I, we spoke about it in a previous appearance. But there's a danger to litigating the case in the media because you can't take back certain statements from the public conscience. 
Rusty Harden, um, whether he's going to acknowledge it or not, has essentially said that there was, um, you know, transfer of money, right? These were, these were, you know, um, you know, good faith massages and services were performed. You can't have another argument that says, hey, these were consensual acts if there is a, you know, payment being exchanged. So to me, that seems to be right, that you're paying for something that's consensual seems to be, you know, another word to say, another way to say prostitution, in which case, you know, I've, I've also you know, tried to be pretty vocal on this. The NFL can suspend him not just for civil sexual assault. They can suspend him for engaging pretty publicly and openly on, a, on an Instagram platform in you know, prostitution, which is not legal in the state of Texas. So, yeah, I think there's a couple, you know, a couple different routes if you're doing one of those books when you were younger, right? Which door do you want to open? You want to go down the civil sexual assault door? You want to go down the prostitution door? A lot of these different doors lead to a suspension. So I, I think more likely than not, he gets suspended at this point. Let's stay on this path with Robert Kraft. We know about his deal in Florida, but now there's a bombshell story out on ESPN.com. The allegation here is that when Kraft and the Patriots were being investigated for Spygate, Kraft may have gone to Donald Trump, who was not the president at the time. Donald Trump then may have gone to Arlen Specter, who was heading up the investigation and said, you know what, here's some money. This one is freaking juicy. Uh, I mean, like, where, where does this go from a legal standpoint? I mean, it goes a couple of ways. I, I, I'm a little curious as I was reading through. It's a long article. I highly, I highly encourage everyone to read it. It's a long article. So take a seat, grab a cup of coffee. You got to make your way through <laughs> this, this bad boy. Um, yeah, I, from a legal standpoint, um, you know, could there be fraud, corruption? Sure. At the, end of the, at the end of the day, the NFL decided to issue punishment in this case. It's not a case that where where the guy, you know, where the Patriots walked free and clear. Brady got a suspension. Um, you know, they lost draft picks. I think there was a, also a monetary fine. So the NFL issued some level of suspension. And obviously, you know, the, the nature of this article is that there were outside uh, forces, be it political forces, that were trying to drum up more attention to this. If you believe the reporting, you know, which everyone's entitled to their own opinion, um, that uh, we'll say the dogs could have been called off, so to speak, once Donald Trump uh, allegedly got involved here. So I don't know if there's much of a, a legal end of it, um, but I think it's really juicy. I think it's juicy that the Patriots, uh, you know, maybe got a little bit less publicity on a lot of less, a lot less news pressure because this investigation was drummed down. So I think it's interesting. Um, I don't really know where you go for, from a legal perspective, but yeah, I think people are going to probably ask the, the league to open up the Patriots investigation if they didn't have enough facts. Exactly. So if the league wants to stick its snout into all these other situations and investigate, you have to investigate this one, don't you? Do you? I, I, I mean, yes, yes. I think I, th- I think I think you do. We we have precedent in other sports. I'm not sure it's exactly similar. George Steinbrenner was suspended for a year for payoffs to Howie Spira involving you know Dave Winfield trying to run a you know a smear campaign. There, there are some similarities here. Why should the? I, I, but the the difference is well, no. The listen, baseball went after technically one of its bosses in Big George. I, I know that Robert Kraft flexes you know big muscles, but from an optic standpoint, this is horrific. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing. They, they might choose to do it. The analogy that came to my head, you know, because we're dealing with it recently on the college basketball front. There's pretty good evidence, more evidence that Zion Williamson was paid illegally to attend Duke, and that's yep. come out in the past couple of weeks. Duke did an investigation. The NCAA did an investigation years ago, and they said there's no violation that occurred. We're not going to investigate it. There's people clamoring, "Hey, let's reopen the Duke investigation and let's let's crush them." I, I, I'm of the standpoint. I think the Patriots have been punished. Uh, you know, I think that I don't think they're going to get m- more punishment. But to your point, I think it's a separate lane. 
should Robert Kraft be separately investigated for punishment? You know, maybe not related to Spygate, but his role in paying someone off behind the scenes? Sure. I, I think the NFL, you know, and, and Steve, a lot of times the NFL says, hey, we've opened up an investigation and then we don't really hear anything else. So everybody goes away and they, does, they do their separate things. Is it, would it shock me if the NFL, quote unquote, opened an investigation to look into it? Yeah. I, but I, I, you know, knowing what we know about the NFL's precedents, NFL in particular, punishing owners, NFL in particular, punishing Robert Kraft. I don't think there's going to be any punishment here. Attorney Dan Lust on Cofield and Company. One more related topic on this. So immediately I start to see on social media in reaction to the story, by the way, done by two excellent reporters and Seth Wickersham and Don Van Atta, uh, immediately I see fake news. You know, the fake news is, is interesting because most oftentimes it means, hey, that's a story I don't agree with, so it must be fake. Would a reporter have a right if someone in name said fake news about their story to go after them and say, hey, that's defamatory. That's hurting my reputation. Probably not. Probably not. You know, I, I, I have a case now that I'm dealing with. Uh, it, we'll say it's in, in the same vein. Someone said something, a public figure. And in order to get somebody uh, for um, defamation, you could sue someone for defamation, but you're a public figure. You put out a, pr- a press release like this. It's not you're not full celebrity status. You're somewhere in the middle. You're not a private individual. So, yeah, you're going to have to show that the person basically had some malice behind that statement, that they knew what they were saying was false and, uh, you know, turned out not to be. But with something like fake news, someone saying hashtag fake news. I don't even know at this point if that's a factual statement. That might just be an opinion at a certain point because I, I don't I don't view that when I see quote unquote fake news that someone is saying, "Hey, I read this story and I know it to be false, and this is not properly sourced. It's false." Fake news is just kind of vernacular at this point. I, I think it's going to be hard to make that to be an actionable statement on, on behalf of somebody. Dan, stick around. Dan Lust is with us, attorney out of New York. He's got his conduct detrimental podcast. On the way back, we'll get to a landmark case that may allow. A lot more athletes around the country under 18 years old to go pro. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Studio. Love, love, love Wednesdays. We check in with our legal insiders today. It's Dan Lust, attorney out of New York. Dan, how big is this case with the 15-year-old female soccer player who just won in court the right to potentially go pro and play in the NWSL. So I was telling you uh, offline, I'm reading this uh, ABA book about the American Basketball Association way back when. There was a Spencer Haywood lawsuit once upon a time to get into the NFL or to get into the NBA. There was a Maurice Claret lawsuit to get into the NFL. They all have a bearing, right? They're basically challenging league rules uh, of eligibility. I think the NBA at the time had a rule um, when it came to Spencer Haywood that he had to be four years removed from his high school graduation. Maurice Claret was three years removed from his uh, high school graduation to get to the NFL, which is still the rule in the NFL. Um, Here's the thing. Olivia Moultrie, 15-year-old soccer phenom, signed a deal with Nike, I think as a 13-year-old. So she's... Uh, she's, we'll say she has skills. She has uh, unique skills like a Freddie Adu once had skills back in the day for the MLS. Um, now, at that point, um, people are saying, hey, how did Freddie Adu play in the MLS? And Olivia Moultrie can't play as a you know 13-year-old, 15-year-old in the uh, NWSL. Um, now, here's, here's really where the bottom line comes in. There's something, a really fancy term in the law called a non-statutory labor exemption. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but basically, if you have a union, a players union, the MLBPA, NFLPA, NHLPA, any of the fun unions – you're allowed to bargain around things that are normally violative of antitrust law, and you could put them right in your collective bargaining agreement. Case in point, Steve, the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the Major League Baseball draft, 
are violative of antitrust law. You can't slot somebody and give them a rookie wage scale that's violative of wage restrictions, hourly restrictions, <laughs> you know, anything on that front. But you can put it in the collective bargaining agreement, and that's what makes it legal. So Olivia Moultrie wins her lawsuit. Fantastic for her. She can sign with any team. But unbeknownst to a lot of people, the NWSL is on the verge of agreeing to a collective bargaining agreement. And if the union of the NWSL doesn't want Olivia Moultrie in the league, they can go right ahead and make a law that, you know, goes around and doesn't let Moultrie in the league. So we'll see. The, the battle is not done. But in court, she won. But it's only relevant to leagues that don't have a collective bargaining agreement is, is the probably the long way to answer that. But I think the important way. Very offbeat story to close on. And uh, attorney Dan Lust is with us. Professor Dan Lust, he's got the Conduct Detrimental podcast that he does. I saw this one uh, trending on Twitter earlier. There is a uh, steak joint that has now posted a note that says, you have to spend 100 bucks minimum per person at the table. That's food and beverage. Does not include tax and tip. People are up in arms. This is le- Is it legal to do that, to have a minimum? I mean, Steve, you ever go out late at night and there's bottle service and they charge you like $100 per bottle? These private establishments could do whatever they want. Steve, you're from the East Coast. You're from the Northeast. <laughs> Peter Luger Steakhouse. You're not you're not escaping that establishment without paying $100 per person. Correct. Whether or not it's mandatory or not, you can't just get a bread basket and get out of there. But but private establishments can do whatever they want. You know, if people don't want to go, great. The, the restaurant's going to take away that policy really quick because no one's, no one's spending any money. But obviously, you know, all restaurants, just like all businesses, are based on supply and demand. And if they think they can charge $100 minimum per person and not per table, and people are going to pay for it, so be it. And, and now, Steve, you know, you have me thinking about maybe I should go to the steakhouse if it's that if it's that good, sure. hundred dollars a person. Maybe, hey. maybe maybe give me a coupon or something that we've endorsed them on the, on the show. But yeah, maybe we'll <laughs> check it out. You know, it's funny. I've never been to Peter Luger, but uh, my co-host did go there, and he said it was very good. He said the service is interesting because it's a lot of old dudes who are working there, and hey, if they're in the mood to be you know real nice to you, they're in that mood. If they're not, they they may be jerks. I was wondering, has anyone challenged? minimum tip requirements for, uh, you know, certain table size, like six, eight, uh, you know, people at a table and said, Hey, this is ridiculous. I'm, you know, the service wasn't great. I, I shouldn't be required to pay 18 or 20%. In fact, I, do you even have to do that? Do you I have mean, to pay it? Well, uh, yes. And well, the short answer is you never have to tip anyone. There's no like, legal obligation to it. You don't sign any type of binding contract to tip somebody, but you know, you look at the fine print. I've never challenged it myself personally, but if it says required tip 15%, do you want to add anything on top of it? There's no mechanism on the receipt to give like negative $15. So <laughs> yeah, I think it's almost like it's a private establishment. They could do what they want. You're stepping foot on their premises. You're eating their food. They could do whatever they want. So yeah, I don't, I don't know the mechanism that you would challenge that. Uh, and, and also, the, you know, there's like the social justice warriors. If you, if you, God forbid, give someone $0, which I've never, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a decent tipper. Um, you're going to get put on blast on Reddit, on some form of uh, social media. They'll, they'll find you. They'll, yeah, but, they'll you, know, you the funny thing is, the, the, the social justice warrior thing's really interesting because the guy Edward at Starbucks with his, you know, 75 different qualifications for his coffee drink a couple of weeks ago, the employee you posted at actually got fired. She got fired. So she wound up losing it. I mean, I think at that point she was like, I can't take this anymore. So go ahead and fire me. Yeah. Yeah. I, listen, I, I think I think there's a lot of I think the social media uh, will call them social justice words, but for sometimes it's good. Sometimes it enacts a lot of change. And then other times. People kind of get bent out of shape that they can uh, enact, uh, you know, change of like Starbucks drink orders where, you know, like let Starbucks do their thing. You know, it's 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 I don't know. Some, sometimes I, I'd say for the most part, overall social media and that type of stuff and putting people on blast is good. 
But, you know, obviously there's the bad apples that, uh, you know, put a sour taste in everyone's mouth. We'll let you go on this. On your podcast, uh, Conduct Detrimental, you do have a story about the uh, Rays ownership all fighting amongst themselves, right? And there's a lawsuit involved? Yes. So I guess, uh, you know, to the, the long and short, I think maybe the juiciest part of this, uh, which maybe people don't know, I've had clients approach me, you know, that are interested in buying minor league baseball teams or trying to get into a share of an NBA team. What people need to realize is that minority owners have very little rights when it comes to this. You can say, hey, I own 10% of the baseball team or I own 10% of the Golden State Warriors. Congrats. You have no seat at the table. You cannot control who is signed by the team. Maybe you you can sit on a boardroom, you know, board meetings. But beyond that, like maybe you get a luxury box seat, but you don't really get that much. And you get great return on investment when, if and when the team is sold. But, you know, it's not really that clear as to uh, what the value of your team is. If it's taxable, uh, who's paying the taxes? If you're paying it or, or the majority share is paying it. So what's gone on here is essentially, uh, you know, whether or not the Rays owner, Stu Sternberg, uh, who has had, had a raise for many years, violated, uh, you know, a number of the agreements, uh, you know, by trying to move the team to Montreal um, to play half their games up there by maybe not paying proper taxes and then charging uh, the owners at the end of the year uh, for funds that he shouldn't be charged with. But yeah, it, it kind of paints an interesting iron baseball, which is going to come out uh, in baseball, basketball, minority owner agreements are not uniform. Each deal that a minority owner signs is very different than what the majority owner signs. And we saw this play out. I think I talked about it with you guys, but the Washington football team's in a really messy lawsuit right now with between uh, it's, it's close to a resolution between majority owners and minority owners. Um, and same deal over in uh, Los Angeles with the chargers. Uh, another deal, a messy deal between minority owners, majority owners, all family members. And uh, we didn't talk about it, but the attorney general of the state of California is now involving himself and thrusting uh, himself into that Chargers family lawsuit. Um, so, yeah, very, very messy. Uh, it's not, not the first time minority owners have sued majority, but, uh, yeah, one of, the, one of the first times in a while that's happened in baseball, at least. Dan, that was awesome. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure, Steve. There he is, Dan Lust. Make sure you check out his legal podcast. It's called Conduct Detrimental. Spot is brought to you by Nova Home Loans. May is Military Appreciation Month, so Nova Home Loans is waiving their lender processing fee on all VA loans throughout the rest of the month. So you've got record low interest rates and no processing fees. That means it's a great chance for veteran and active duty military to refinance your existing loan or purchase that new home today. But you got to call 877-700-NOVA. We've had a ton of listeners go in, get the mortgage tune up, or straight out buy with the help of Nova Home Loans. Call them now, 877-700-NOVA. Tell them Cofield sent you, 877-700-NOVA.